Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Matthew Perry. We did a joint podcast also with Matthew Zanis, episode 124, about starting to break down the myths of training. In this conversation today, we are going to continue that conversation and break down some more myths. If you have not listened to episode 124 yet, I highly recommend you stop this one and go listen to that one first and then come back to this one. If you have listened to the other one already, then continue on and enjoy this one. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you will find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Matthew Perry, thank you so much for joining me today again for an awesome podcast talking about myths. How are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal. It's a great day here in San Diego and uh, happy to be back on. Thanks for the invite. You are quite welcome. Let me guess, sunny and 70. Yep. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to think twice about it. (laughs) All day, every day. (laughs) Yep. It's it's a blessing and a curse. I'm not from San Diego, so having this consistent weather, like, you know, I'm from Oakland and it's overcast and sunny and rainy all in one day there, here, consistent. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about it yet. It it has its good and bad. Like I uh, got a picture from a friend the other day of like leaves, colors change, leaves on the ground and everything. And it's like, that's the one thing I do miss about living in Phoenix is not having the change of season, like the color change. Yeah. Yeah. I lived in new England for a little bit and it was just absolutely like, I mean, it was definitely different because when you had the color change, you also had the frost and the slippages and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's, we, we do live in a beautiful country and that's awesome. That we do for sure. Well, cool. Well, let's dive in. I really want to start today. Um, we're going to go two different directions. Let's start first with squatting and deadlifting. So many times we hear people tell us that their physicians told them not to squat, not to deadlift because it's bad for their back and it's just not a safe thing to do. So I really want to dive into and have that conversation today on, is it bad? Is it, is it good? Is it helpful? Like where do people go with this information that they're given? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, um, to start, you know, it is kind of about validating people's concerns, right? You know, people do like to uh, correlate their back pain with, you know, what they might've done in the gym, right? You know, we don't correlate it with, with sitting. We don't correlate it with other things. We, we like to like to find a cause and it's like, oh, well, my back hurts, deadlift is back. Well, it clearly was the deadlifting, right? Um, but, you know, that couldn't be farther from the truth, you know? Um, with our back pain, um, I think, uh, and, and we can, um, it, we talked about in the last episode, so if you didn't hear it, catch it. It could be a whole lot about what you're not doing in everyday life, right? You know, it could be the amount of sitting you're doing, because most of us are sitting for a good 60 to 80 hours a week when you include weekends and Netflix and all that kind of stuff on top of your job, right? And so then you go lift something after being, you know, having that kind of stiffness from the static position, you know, 
um, really anything could happen, right? You're kind of flipping a coin. Um, but I, I do not feel, um, and, you know, based off my, uh, you know, uh, looking at the evidence that, you know, deadlifting is inherently a bad thing for you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I like how you put that as far as like people tend to correlate that. And I think a lot of that correlation happens because like, if you sit all day, if you get anything, you might just get like achy, sore type in the back, but it's like, you don't get that sharp jolting pain from sitting versus if you deadlift after you sat all day or squat after you sat all day and those muscles don't know how to activate, you can get that sharp jolting pain. So it, people do, it is easy to correlate like this activity is, or this pain is related to this activity. Like I always want to go that direction of these movements, they're functional movements. Like you can't lift up even your laundry basket without doing a deadlift or lifting up the grocery bag from the floor or the bag of dog food. Like that's a deadlift. You're picking something up from the ground to like waist height, getting up and down from a chair, from the toilet. You're basically doing squats. Yes, you're pausing in between, but you're still doing a squat to get there. And, and I think we have to remember that just because like these movements that we're doing day to day aren't in a gym doesn't mean we're not doing them. And I think that's even more important reason that we need to actually train them in a gym to train them how to do it properly, or at least as a coach, as a clinician, like train someone how to do them properly and learn how to do it properly. So you can just function as a normal human being in life. Huge, huge point. 100% nail on the head with the functional movements. Um, whether we think about doing these things or not, we are. And we are having a lot of, I would say, success when anytime, like by deadlifting, you know, uh, 20 times a day by lifting up those groceries, lifting up that, um, that, that cart. But then we have, um, you know, then we do something in a uncontrolled way or um, maybe not respecting the weight and then something um, undesirable can happen. But that uh, again, doesn't mean that deadlifting is bad for you. Um, so, so education is absolutely the key and there's not one right way to deadlift, you know, um, that's another, or squat even, um, you know, some people use a little bit more torso, some people, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit more knee, you know, like, and I'm not saying that everyone should be doing the latter, but, uh, you looked at who was at the, uh, the mountain from game of Thrones when he broke that record of lifting, whatever it was like 900 kilos, um, something like that at his, at his home. He, I would say had not the best form, <laughs> but who am I to tell somebody who's lifting that much weight, how to lift properly. Right. You know? And so, so that's kind of the other, the other extreme of that, you know, we're all built differently and, and, uh, um, and, and can, can function in different, different realms and different planes. That's a great point. Um, that especially when we're talking like the squatting movement is there's so much like you listen to or read one thing and they're talking about how the feet should be parallel and hip width apart. And then you talk to someone else and how the feet should be outward. And, and there's so much variance there, but there has to be variance there because our bodies are built a little bit differently. Like 
some people like not to get too anatomically uh, anatomical, but like how the head of that femur sits in your pelvis is different for every single person. And they've done an anatomical studies to show that. And so we can't just assume that there's one perfect position for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's like we're all built differently. <laughs> what is that? No, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, my, uh, you know, six, I, I was, I was working with uh, someone uh, literally uh, two days ago. Um, he's 14 years old. He's six, three, Holy cow. six foot three inches at 14 years old. And the way he needed to deadlift was way different than his peers who are all, you know, maybe five foot on a, on a good day, you know? Um, so, so we need to always take that into consideration. And if anyone says there's one right way to do something, um, I'd be interested in challenging that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, and the, the height factor for sure plays a huge role into it. Like someone with longer, longer legs, shorter torso, they're going to need a wider base for a squat than someone shorter. Um, like I know my deadlift at five, two looks a lot different than my friend's deadlift at six foot. So like oh, yeah. things just have to change because the bone length and your vectors are different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, great points. I love it. Um, kind of transition from there to the other thing that we hear a lot, which is the activities that are bad for the knees, specifically still talking about squats, but also running. Um, so many times and like, I get it. People get knee pain when they're running. I get it. People get knee pain when they squat, but is it the actual activity or is it something else that's going on that's in their body? That's actually creating this pain. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think it is much more of the, um, you know, much more of the latter, you know, and, uh, this is something, you know, I kind of want to bring up before, um, I do forget. And, um, I have seen a lot of my ladies, uh, you know, my, my female athletes, my female people with chronic pain, um, who do a lot of the sitting and the standing from a chair or whatever, um, with their knees together. Right. And yes, we know that puts a lot of load on our knees and we can circle back to that. But, um, it was, it was interest, an interesting revelation, you know, there, how we can have maybe some gender norms, quote unquote, of, you know, women needing to stand up and sit down a certain way that are putting this, this extreme load on their knees every time they're doing something, right? Um, and not saying this, that knee pain is an exclusive um, female, um, you know, pathology, but, um, you know, uh, kind of, you know, going um, really broad and kind of narrowing in on on what what is going on with someone, right? I know it's kind of a tangent, but uh, it, it was something I really have been thinking about recently. That's interesting. I it's not something I would have thought about, especially because yes, both genders do have knee pain, but it is interesting to to kind of start thinking about how those gender norms of like not necessarily what's proper, but just like the things you pick up from your mother and your grandmother and, and how we do things impact, you know, us in our daily lives and how we may move differently than me or like, you know, I say we as me as a female may move differently than 
a male may because of kind of those those habits that we learn, those habits that we pick up because of gender norms. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the way we move um, based off race, gender, whatever the case is, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just different. Right. Um, but uh, but but circling back to the to the knee pain, especially, you know, with running, you know, um, again, correlation and causation. So I, you know, um, go for a run for the first time in two years after, you know, not doing a whole lot and trying to reinvigorate my exercise. And I run for three miles. I haven't ran three miles in, you know, um, this is a general I, in two years, three years. And my knees hurt. Oh, ouch. Running must be bad for it. I shouldn't do that anymore. Well, not the case, you know, and this is when we kind of get into tissue tolerance and load and your ability to handle that load, right, into your knees. Um, if you haven't done something for a long time and you hop into it, yeah, you might feel a little sore from that, you know. Um, that's why we, I know you yourself and myself, you know, always suggest let's start at a light load and then get progressively heavier, right? I know I'm speaking right and I'm speaking uh, your truth as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> you mean I can't just go lift 125 pounds when I haven't been lifting for months? I don't get it. <laughs> Whatever you want, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that tissue tolerance is huge, especially when we're going getting into that like too much too soon conversation. Um, the other factor too that plays a huge role in in our knee pain, or one thing I do want to mention before that is most knee pain that we get is a symptom of something else, meaning your foot and ankle is not supporting your leg, so you're getting some torque at the knee, or your hip isn't, isn't staying nice and stable, and you're getting some rotations or some drops there going on, causing your knees to turn in or outward or do something weird. And it, so it comes down like, it's not the running and it's not the squatting necessarily that's creating this pain. It's the fact that your body doesn't know how to support itself and control itself in space. And you're just putting a lot of repetitive demands on it in a way that your body can't handle. Absolutely. Um, like I tell people or my, my, my patients, you know, um, and I want to say we know the knee is a very complex thing and it has a lot of intricacies to it. But, you know, what I like to say is, you know, the knee's a fairly dumb joint. Please, people, don't, <laughs> don't, don't shoot me over this. Um, what, what I mean by that is we have, you know, we have some flexion, we have extension, we have a little bit of rotation, right? Um, and so it is heavily, heavily influenced by some of our triplanar um, uh, joints, adjacent joints, right? Our ankle as well as our hip. Um, so, you know, you keep saying, you know, a, a patient keeps saying, ow, my knee hurts right here at the knee. It's like, well, what's happening at the ankle? Okay, are we collapsing at the arches? You know, I'm not saying pronation is inherently a bad thing, but, you know, it can be, right? Um, are are our hips just extremely weak? And is that causing a bunch of torque that the knee is not accustomed to? And so um, that's why you need to get a good diagnostician to kind of Sherlock Holmes your way up and down and figure out what's going on, right? Absolutely. And I think, 
like a conversation I've been having with a number of people recently that um, kind of just reminded me how resilient we are when our 20s and not so much in our 30s is I have a number of runners right now that I'm working with that ran in high school, ran competitively in college, like never injured, never had an issue or maybe stuff here and there, but nothing major. And now that they're in their mid thirties, they're starting to notice like nagging issues are coming up or things that are actually shutting them down from being able to run. And it just got me thinking like their running technique probably hasn't changed. They both like they've self-admitted to not doing strengthening stuff either when they were younger or now. And so it just kind of got me thinking like how more resilient are our bodies in our upper teens, younger twenties and able to withstand these forces a little bit more compared to in our thirties when it's all of a sudden like, you know what, like the body's not recovering itself as well against these abnormal forces on it. So if there's any truth to that, I don't know, but it's just kind of something that's been going through my head as I've been seeing a lot of people with these trends lately. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that is very, uh, that, that's really interesting. And like when we are younger is our, you know, our gate mechanics, you know, the same as, you know, as we get older. Um, but our body, like you said, is much more resilient to those loads and maybe those not so good loads. And then as we get older, your body starts saying, Ooh, like you've been doing this to me for a long time. I'm, I'm going to start talking to you, you know? Yeah. And, and is it, or is it a, you know, um, I don't like the word deterioration, but lack of a better word, you know, that, that we are starting that process of, um, um, of not being able to recover as quickly and, and, and all of that. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I hate to like, whenever one, anyone tells me, you know, it's my age and like, I'm just getting older and that's why I'm getting these pains. I don't like to put like in my head, it's not the age unless you want to just put the age on it for the factor of like, you've been doing this wrong technique for 20 years. So you've had 20 years to cause these abnormal forces that we need to correct now. But if you look at someone who's been moving, I won't say perfectly because probably no one in this world moves perfectly, but someone who's been moving really well for a really long time, they can be in their seventies and eighties and have minimal issues going on or, you know, minimal pain issues. Um, so I really think a lot of these things, the, like the knee pain with running and squatting and all of these things that it's not an age issue. It's not a fact of, it's just bad for you. It's a fact of we aren't doing it right. Yep. Um, I, I have a, uh, interesting story. Uh, I just got done with one of my patients. He's, uh, 78 years old. And uh, a couple years ago, he hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. And, uh, last year, uh, he hiked, uh, Mount Baker, which is, you know, one of the largest mountains in the West coast. Um, if not the, and yes, he had some struggles going up and down, but he has worked so hard on his body to make sure he is staying well oiled and, 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 strong in his weak areas and all of that, that, um, he had no lasting injury aside from, you know, ouch, that was a lot of volume for uh, <laughs> right. hiking mountain in like 24 hours. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, age, um, age can be just a number. Um, yeah. absolutely. I, I love that. It's really funny. I, not to throw my mom out there, but I'm going to, I was talking to her. She's 60. 
69. She's, but she does CrossFit. Like she's in shape. She's awesome. And I saw her the other day and she's like, when I turn 70, she's like, I think I'm, or she's like, something along the lines, I'm going to have to figure out what to do when I'm 70 since I'll stop CrossFit. I'm like, well, why would you stop CrossFit? She's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, it was like this thing that this light bulb went off in her head. Like, oh, just because I'm a certain age, like I don't need to stop doing this. I can still do this and it's okay. So it was a really interesting and fun conversation of just like, your age is just a number. Like, because you're 69 now and you turn 70, like that doesn't change anything. If your body's used to moving, you need to continue moving it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, does age have some factor and do genetics have some factor? Yes. But that can't be a cop out for us to just not, not do stuff. Yeah. You know, um, do I move how I'm 30 years old now? Do I move how I was moving when I was 20 and playing two sports and lifting two times a day, you know, not quite, but I've also haven't trained that for a very long time. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, most of my days, um, has been, you know, well, working and helping others and, uh, then sitting at a computer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in a sense, like, do, I don't know. I think there it can be a mix of things. Do I think I move as well as I did maybe when I was in my teens, younger twenties? No, but at the same time, like, I kind of think I'm moving better now than I did 10 years ago. Cause I focused more on my mobility and my stability in those movements and being able to actually get into those movements. So I think like just because you're a certain age or because you're doing these things doesn't mean you can't teach your body how to move better. Absolutely. Um, I'm in less pain overall than I have been, um, in the past decade, you know, um, when I lived and, um, and all of that, because when I was 20, I was a knucklehead and I was, you know, trying to see how much weight I could move every single day, all day. You know, now I'm a lot more methodical in, in how I do it mm -hmm. and I'm getting better results from it. It's, it's funny how it works like that. Amazing how that happens. <laughs> you mean going hundred percent every day is not the way to do it? Wouldn't that be nice? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of enjoy my re recovery days now. <laughs> recovery days, yeah. I'm just thinking back to like the days when I was like just crushing myself every day. And that was that was for a different purpose and a different reason. Um, now it is health and what is going to keep me healthy long term. And 100 to 110% every day is not sustainable. Mm -mm. And I don't, yeah. It, and it really should be like, yes, we used to train that way when we were younger. But you really need, especially when you start looking at what happens with the body on those recovery days, what happens with the muscles and even the neural pathways. We need those easier days. We need those, re those active recovery days to properly recover. Yeah. Everyone listening. What if I could tell you that you could grow more muscle by working out less and spending more time resting, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now let's take a little break to talk about Naboso technology. We're always looking for that way to get an edge up on our competitor, but not necessarily by having to spend more time training. That's where Naboso technology can really help you. 
Naboso Technology provides the first ever small nerve proprioceptive insoles and mats designed to stimulate the nervous system and enhance movement. So what does this mean? It means by using their insoles or training barefoot on their mats, you improve the stability of your system. You improve your proprioceptive system. So you're naturally creating a more resilient body and a stronger body just by using Naboso. I absolutely love training with their products because I know it's a huge impact in how my strength, stability, and control improves just by incorporating it into my workouts. I highly encourage you to go check out Naboso and see what you may be able to do to step up your game. You can find more out at nabososechnology.com. How is that spelled? N-A-B-O-S-O-technology.com. And if you use code HIGHLYFUNCTIONAL, you can save 10% at checkout. You can also find Naboso Technology along with all of my partners at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now let's get back to our conversation. I want to get into the, you mentioned something about genetics and it's really interesting. I've been doing, well, obviously, you know, I read a lot, but <laughs> um, just the things I've read at times, as far as like right now I'm reading a book about breathing and I've read some books about like the telomeres and how that affects us and sleep and how that affects us and just all of these different things. And yes, I know like people have like we get genes from our family. Like I get that, but I think so many of our problems aren't gene related except for the fact that the gene is there, but something has to trigger it. And I really feel a lot of it is our lifestyle and these things that we've developed in our lifestyle to basically they turn on that gene to cause these issues. It's, I don't know. It's pretty fascinating to me to kind of start looking into this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is kind of the, you know, maybe the, the forefront of like new technology, right. Is learning how much genes, you know, do, do have a, a play, but, you know, we, we definitely know that genes can be expressed um, and they can be, you know, downregulated as well. Right. Um, that's why when, if we get, have a traumatic experience and get in a car accident or something like that, um, how we can also have other issues that surface, right. It turns on those genes. Um, but we can downregulate those genes just as well as we turn them on. Right. So it is almost gene hacking to lead a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, essentially it's biohacking at its finest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At its absolute finest. And it's, uh, you know, I don't want to say easy, but it's, it's definitely doable. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. um, to, you know, to put down the candy bar and pick up something healthier. Yeah. <laughs> day by day, we got to make those choices. I know I am We're right after Halloween. So we still have all the, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it's like you eat better, you get more sleep, you learn how to breathe better, and that can, you do a little bit of exercise every day, and you can solve a lot of your problems. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about breathing? Can we talk about breathing? Absolutely. Oh, I'd love to. Um, so uh, I think that, speaking of biohacking, breathing is one of the easiest and most uh, um, underappreciated 
things that we can do. And I know everyone listening is like, well, I'm breathing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all about how we breathe. You know, we, in our country, with all of our stress, do a lot of what they call apical breathing, right? We're breathing kind of from our shoulders. And, you know, what that looks like is if you're shrugging your shoulders as breathing in and dropping them as breathing out. Um, When that can lead to dysfunctional things like your dysfunctional diaphragm, right? We know how important that guy is, you know, as far as upregulate or downregulating um, our body's fight or flight responses and upregulating, um, you know, the uh, um, our parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yeah. Can we dig into breathing a little bit more? I want to. Yeah, I want to know your uh, what you're learning and what you know. What well, I know. Yeah. Um, so I definitely know what you've what you just said as far as yeah when we. We definitely, most people tend to avoid their belly breathing, um, get very chest breathing. And I don't know really where that stems from, um, but it's definitely something that's been developed over the years. Um, but yes, the, and it's, so typically when we are stressed, we breathe in our chest and it's almost then they catch 22 downward cycle because the stress hormones automatically trigger that fight or flight system. The chest breathing makes it even worse. And so we just get stuck there. So we can start learning to, in those moments, especially breathing into our diaphragm and kind of getting that system to switch off of your fight or flight sympathetic system into your parasympathetic system. Let your body calm down and relax. It definitely like heart rate lowers, blood pressure lowers, like everything calms down where I've been playing around with some with some of this is um with workouts and with my running especially especially since I'm doing run walks I've been having a lot of fun with it like just kind of seeing like if I breathe in my chest where's my heart rate when I went walking if I breathe into my diaphragm where's my heart rate when I'm walking and just noticing these differences or I'll kind of like I have my whoop on so I'll look at my phone every once in a while and just see where my heart rate is and um I'll just like start doing some really like focused breathing and like my heart rate will drop 15 beats like pretty fast. Um, Just because we're like resetting everything, we're calming the body down. So if you can think about like most people, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people when they're exercising, when they're running, training, anything, it becomes very chest breathing. So if you're doing that, you're increasing your heart rate, you're increasing your blood pressure, you're going to fatigue faster. If you can start training your body to breathe into your diet, using your diaphragm, you can last a lot longer in your workouts because you're not using as much energy. You can go just as fast. You're just not using as much energy um, because your heart rate isn't as spiked. And I don't know, it's just, it's really fun to play around with. And it's really fun just to see how things change in the body when you do breathe differently. Wow. 15 beats per minute, really? Yeah. The other day I had walked, um, I got in my car, went to kind of the bottom where I was going to run in the grass and I looked at my phone and I was sitting at like 85, I think. And so I just like started breathing and I think it dropped, it wasn't quite 15. I think it dropped down to like 70, I think it dropped down to 75 and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go now. But yeah, it literally did not take very long at all. Wow. Wow. And think of, you know, just longevity, right? If we do have a finite amount of beats in our heart, you know trying to, to, to deregulate it as, uh, or sorry, de, um, you know, lower it as, as quickly as possible, you know, the health benefits of that. Yeah. I'm reading, um, 
James Nestor's book, Breathe, right now. And uh, I'm probably about a quarter way through and I still have a lot to go, but it's pretty fascinating. And he did, him and another guy did a study on themselves, basically. Um, it's called the Stanford study. But um, they basically spent 10 days fully mouth breathing and recorded blood pressure, heart rate, um, recorded themselves at night for sleep apnea and all this stuff. And um, like within days, they were like talking about how just appearance wise, they had like this glassed over look, this very fatigued, tired look. They're waking up like 24 times in the night or like having sleep apnea events, like 20 sometimes in the night, started snoring within a day or two. Um, like clinically, clinically, like you would typically medicate the levels of high blood pressure they were getting. Like it was crazy. And then they went, I'm actually in it right now. They're like three days into their nose breathing. Like they tape their mouth shut 10 days into their nose breathing. And like, I think within a day, one of the guys only had four sleep apnea events. The other guy had absolutely none. Their snoring stopped um, within three days, like heart rate, blood pressure, everything was back to like normal ranges. So it's, and like, so, and then it does get into the science behind like what happens with nose breathing versus mouth breathing. Like that's the biggest thing with this, with this book. And then just like retraining, talking about retraining the diaphragm on how to actually like use it. But it was pretty fascinating when you start seeing like all, oh, they're testing blood sugar, I believe as well, which also elevated. Um, but it's pretty fascinating just to see in 10 days of not breathing right, what it did to their health. Wow. That's huge. And I, I love the objectivity they're putting through that, right? You know, actual, you know, biomarkers. Yeah. And they're, uh, I think they measure, I believe it's three times a day, like at the same time, three times a day they're measuring and, oh, they also to make sure everything stays consistent. They're like the first 10 days, like they had set things, what they were eating. So the next 10 days they can eat, like they're eating the exact same things on those given days. They're exercising the, doing the same workout, same times. So they're pretty much like as much as they can, they're like, it's the same exact 10 days, just breathing differently. But yeah, it's really cool. Wow. That's huge. Um, and so now extrapolate that to, you know, 20 or 30 years of, you know, dysfunctional breathing and it's a wonder why we have some of the um, issues we have um, going on in you know this country as far as stress and yeah. uh, other, you know um, obesity, et cetera. Um, one more thing: there is an FDA approved, and I, I need to go back and look at uh, what it's called. Um, I think it's a device, but it's really just a breathing technique, and it's diaphragmatic breathing of some sort um, that they put you through with the help of the device. And it's FDA approved to lower blood pressure. So I think, I think we're getting, we're starting to get there. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's really interesting. Like when you look at what he's, what they're doing, it's like most of these people who have figured out, like he talks about some different people in who have like figured out like breathing issues and, and what issues they cause. It's like, none of them are pulmonologists. It like, it goes into how like, dentists are seeing like dental changes because of this. And like one of them was a choir instructor who started noticing like breathing stuff and playing around with it. And, and it like, it's, it is pretty fascinating when you think about like, if someone goes to the doctor with 
asthma symptoms, emphysema, like all of these COPD issues. A treatment plan is figured out, but nothing really goes into like, well, how do we actually breathe better? Like, how do we, are we breathing right? Is there a better way to breathe? Um, and I, and you can really relate that to pretty much most medical issues is let's just medicate instead of like figuring out the cause. Um, but when it's like lung things and respiratory things and all you have to do is breathe differently, like it's not rocket science. <laughs> right. I know it's, it's, it's free. It's easy. It's non-steroidal. <laughs> right. <laughs> all natural. <laughs> all natural. Wow. Yeah, um, I was considered an asthmatic for a lot of my life, um, and it was interesting once I started really, and I was an athlete most of my life, but once I started really increasing my fitness, like how fit I was, um, trying to watch what I eat and things like that, that's when, boom, it was no longer um, an issue for me. I haven't used an inhaler in, you know, better part of 10 years now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and you know, they attribute it, oh, you just grew out of it, right? That's what they say. Um, well, what about all the other things surrounding that? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting as far as like what they, like, do you really grow out of an issue like that? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully we will soon. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. I do want to go one other thing today. Um, I, I like that we got on that breathing tangent though. I think that was good to cover. Um, but one thing I do want to talk about, and it's something that I've been kind of, kind of on the front of my mind because with me coming back to running and dealing with my foot injury, it's definitely something that I have to pay attention to. And that is pushing through pain when we're training. Like I know we've talked, I think in the last one, that pain is just information and we need to be able to process that information. And I think we can almost go with both ways with this myth of like, it's okay to push through pain and we should push through pain. It makes us a better athlete. Um, but then there's the other half of people that's just like, well, I like, I have pain. I need to stop at whatever I'm doing and I can't ever do that again type thing. So I kind of want to dive into and not go too in depth necessarily, but dive into like when we have pain, like what do we push through? What do we not push through? Like, when is it okay? When is it not to, and really kind of have that conversation. Great question. Um, and topic, um, let me start by, um, agreeing that, you know, Yes, pain is just information, right? You know, I like to really equate it to, um, uh, so the Blue Angels, you know, when they fly over, right? You know, they, they kind of cover all of America. Um, as soon as they fly over a group of cars in a parking lot, what happens? The alarms go off, right? And so our body is kind of like that car alarm, right? Like our car alarm is designed to, you know, uh, let us know that there's a burglar or someone breaking into our car, right? That's correct information. When the blue angels fly over and our car alarm goes, goes off, it's in response to misinformation, right? And so, I mean, our, our bodies are completely analogous to that. We, when we have pain, it can be correct and it can be incorrect. If we are have something torn in our body and we try to run through that torn, you know, issue and it's, or, you know, broken bone, whatever the case is, that's correct information saying, ouch, this hurts. This probably isn't good. And it's maybe may doing more harm than good. 
Um, but other, other times we can get pain, you know, and I think uh, back pain is a great example of it, where it is kind of that uh, the blue angels flying over and that misinformation. And that although our back might hurt a little bit when we do something, that we are not um, necessarily causing any more damage. Yeah, I think it definitely takes, well, I agree with you on all of that. Um, it definitely takes body awareness though and like learning and what you're like learning and listening to your body and like trying to, taking time to kind of decipher and assess what you're feeling. Like, is it just a sore muscle cause you're fatigued and like you can continue training, but maybe not push it? Or is it like something further going on that like if you continue running, you might cause a little bit more damage type thing. And it can be a fine line, but I think it's something that every person, especially if they want to be a successful athlete needs to get good at, or at least start to get good at figuring out for themselves. Absolutely. You need to be in tune with yourself because you are the only person who uh, truly understands what is going on with you. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we can try to describe the information that we are feeling, but that's not as good as us feeling what it is. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge point. Um, body awareness, which, you know, you can build, you just need to practice at it. Right. You know, uh, just like anything else, um, people say, Oh, well, how do I feel that? Well, we, to work on that, you know, um, I'd like to be a part of my patient's journeys when they um, are trying to to uh, to to dip their foot into that vast um, pool, as you know. But um, it's, you know, yes, I'm I'm agreeing with you as well. <laughs> that body awareness is huge, absolutely crucial. Something that just came to mind as you were talking there too is like a lot of times if someone's coming back from injury and maybe hasn't done a, mo a movement for a while, hasn't run for a while. Like it's just, they're getting back to something after being off for maybe two or three months or longer that, and possibly in the process of this, they're also learning how to move differently or move better. That like having some, some like aches, pains in those situations is not abnormal because you're now using a muscle that you maybe haven't ever used or haven't used properly in decades that you're turning on again, or like actually activating during that movement again. Um, and so I think we also have to be cognizant of that as a clinician, as a coach, but also as the athlete that things may pop up as we start doing activities again, coming off of injury, but it's not always a bad thing. Yes. And, and that's where we also have to discern, is it soreness? Is it pain? Is it something tearing, right? You know, kind of going back to the body awareness thing. Um, and that's why, you know, someone, you know, um, who's serious about getting better, you know, needs to enlist in some help with that, right? Because you saying that something, or the patient saying something is like an electric shock down my leg. You know, the patient doesn't know what that means. We know what that means. You know, that might be some kind of neurological issue or, or you know, um, a nerve issue, something like that. Um, so um, it is extremely important to make sure you seek the right help with that. Absolutely. Um, the other thing, like, sometimes we don't, I shouldn't even say sometimes, a lot of times we don't even need to decipher our pain. Like, 
subconsciously, your body knows when something's wrong. If you're ever, like, if you're ever in a workout and questioning, like, should I continue this? Is it okay? It's probably not okay. Like, <laughs> your subconscious triggering that thought in your head is probably your subconscious telling you there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. And if, you know, um, I, I can, you know, I, I literally can't even count the amount um, of people who come to see me. And the, when I first ask, you know, so what's going on? Well, you know, I was lifting and I know I shouldn't have done anymore, but I ended up doing that extra whatever. <laughs> and so you're like, definitely not saying like, don't, you know, always challenge yourself, push. But like, to your point, when your body is saying, mm, I don't know about that, unless you're in some kind of championship game or an event, might want to just modify that a little bit. Yeah. Like I... <laughs> I will, I still remember the first CrossFit workout. I was halfway through and I'm just like, if I do one more kettlebell swing, this is probably not going to be good for me. And like, I literally just stopped. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of at that point, it's like competition. Cool. I'll push through it. But when it's just a training workout, it is not worth it. And I will gladly, even halfway through a workout, I will modify and just like, something's not feeling right. Let's just whether it's decrease the weight, change the movement, just change something so I can continue moving my body, but not stressing whatever's not feeling right. And, and doing that is going to take you so much further because it's going to limit injuries, you know, from taking place in the first place. Right. Um, so you will be able to, you, well, you'll, you'll live to train another day and fight another day. Right. Absolutely. Always tomorrow. Very cool. Awesome. Well, let's kind of start closing things out. Um, just remind people where they can find you, Matt. Yeah. Um, so I'm most active on Facebook. Um, Auto Nest Therapies is my company, um, where we treat a lot of uh, you know athletes and individuals who are suffering from chronic pain. Um, please reach out um, if you have any questions about anything. I'm always responsive on there. That's A-U-T-O hyphen N-E-S-S therapies. Um, also, hopefully at some point in the show notes, we can uh, just give people my cell phone number. I, I love talking with people and seeing how I can, um, how I can best help. Um, yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was fun hashing it out again. Hopefully next time we can get Matthew Zanis on here again as well to have some more fun. Always. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. And everyone, there will be a part three, I promise. So stay tuned for that in the future as well. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And before I close out, I have two questions for you. Do you feel like you're in a plateau with your progress? Or do you feel like you're stuck in an injury cycle? Both of these issues are very common and both of them can be fixed very easily. Most often, both of these issues come down to how you're training or more importantly, what's missing in your training. By figuring out what's missing and adding that in, your training performance will improve, your racing performance will improve, and your injury cycle will break. I invite you to get on a free 30 minute consultation call with me to discuss what's going on with you, your life, your training, so we can really figure out what needs to be done to improve that. 
So head over to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash OCR doc to book a free call with me. Thank you again for listening today. I greatly appreciate it and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.